I'm Danny Valentino, and welcome to our special year in review episode of Crypto on the Beat. So this time last year, Bitcoin was coming off its all-time high, and we were all wondering, how high can it go? NFT collections like CryptoPunks and the Board Ape Yacht Club had reached astronomical valuations, and owning one or more was a new form of status symbol. But this year, as we approach year-end, the conversation is very different. The world's leading cryptocurrency has lost more than 60% of its value, and it's been even worse for many others. We've seen coins blow up altogether, and even a few exchanges, too, in spectacular fashion. And the NFT market has not been spared either, with all major collections losing significant value as well. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or as we hodlers call it, FUD, is seemingly everywhere. But there is a silver lining to the downturn. As Nick Dietrich of the Disco Fries explained to us earlier this fall, despite all the negative headwinds, the enthusiasm in the space from those that are involved in creating has never been greater. And the belief that we are still in the very early stages of changing the world and the way we live has never been higher. It's been a fascinating year in crypto, and here on this show, we've had the chance to talk to many of the major players helping to push the space forward from artists to creators and more. We talk to A-list DJs like Cascade, Steve Aoki, and Armin Van Buren. Club owners like Michael Simpkins, a founding partner of Eleven in Miami. C-level executives like Marcus Feistel at the recently reborn LimeWire. And even a founding member of Linkin Park, Mike Shinoda. Each with a different story to tell about how they are utilizing crypto and Web3 to further their interests. So as we take time out to celebrate the holidays with friends and family and maybe reflect on the past year... Here at Crypto on the Beat, we thought it would be a good time to look back at some of our favorite moments from 2022. So one of my favorite conversations this past year was with superstar DJ and producer Cascade, someone I've known for more than a decade and watched grow from playing smaller clubs across the country to festival main stages around the world. We talked about a lot of things, including the impact that putting his music in video games has had on his career and what it was like to do a set inside Fortnite. He sounded pretty blown away by it all. It is mind-boggling. And I think for people that come from the music industry, for us, a huge show is, you know, cool. I played the Staples Center. 20,000 people are there. Or the Los Angeles Convention Center. Or even Ultra, you know, 80,000, 100,000. EDC, 125,000. These are massive numbers, right? You're just like... Oh my gosh. I mean, you're looking out at a sea of people. It's like when I'm on Fortnite and they're like, oh yeah, there's 1.4 million people tuned in right now. And they're just like shrugging this off. It's like no thing for them. Cause like there's simultaneously that many people online playing their game all the time. That's a Tuesday afternoon for them. For us, we're just like, wait, what? I'm playing for a million people right now. How is that even possible? So it just changes the dynamic of everything and how you think of these numbers. So, you know, I'm coming from like a club background, you know, big night club was like 2000 people. And now I'm like, Oh, this is a much different stage. So of course the, the numbers reflect that you're right. You know, we've been plugging stuff and putting it on the radio and Oh my gosh, you got 50 million streams, hundred million streams, whatever. And it's like these songs come out and two weeks later have numbers like that. And I'm like, it just doesn't seem possible because of my background and what we're used to. But yeah, it's a different world. You know, it's a it's a big platform and a lot of people are playing, enjoying the games and music is a central part of that. Talk to me a little bit about what goes into your appearance in Fortnite, for example. So you said there's you know, 1.4 million people watching. So 
it wasn't an avatar of you. This performance was actually was you. I think it was on a screen, but there looked like there were, you know, other avatars that were kind of chilling out, you know, dancing, hands in the air, kind of, you know, vibing to your music. But like, where are you when this is happening? Take us through how this works. When I did it by this sixth time that they've done it, I went into a sound stage in East LA, you know, an hour and a half from my house out in the middle of like nowhere, massive sound stage with like trucks full of <laughs> hardware. And I get in there and really the stage that I performed on seemed like a mid-size festival stage that I would perform on for probably, you know, 15, 20,000 people. I've done this a couple times in my career, but I mean, it was a full LED wall that I was standing on top of. So the projection stuff was going and then full lighting truss, like you would see at any, you know, festival. I performed the set 12 or 15 times over the course of a couple of days where I just did it and 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 did it. It was like rehearsing for Coachella or something, which on these massive shows, you know, I rent the space and I get my lighting effects guys and the video guys and we get all this content. We get in there and we kind of go through different possibilities of what's going to happen and we work the show out. That's exactly what it was. And they just filmed it and filmed it and filmed it, filmed it with a jib, filmed it with a handheld, filmed it and filmed it. And then they put it together, stitched it all together after running through it, let's call it 15, 20 times, whatever it was. I was beat. After two days, I was like, I just, it's like I just gigged for two months. <laughs> I'm like, I can't oh, jump man. up and down anymore. <laughs> I think we ended on a Sunday, Sunday night. I'm like, it's a wrap, man. Ah, you know. Sounds pretty wild. Now, back in June, we talked to Steve Aoki. He's a guy that is very deep into crypto, even having his house outfitted for the metaverse. Steve's done a handful of NFT drops over the years, and we got to talking about the financial side of his first drop last year, where he made four and a quarter million dollars. And I asked him if the process went as expected or did it surprise him? Completely, completely like mind blown. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. mind blown because, uh, you know, we went into it, you know, I remember when I was talking to Blau in, in the summer 2020 is like, mm -hmm. Justin was like, yo, you know, I'm doing this whole thing. I think we're, like I'm going to make like 25, 30 grand on, on this project, making music in the digital space. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, so if I could make 25, you should probably make a little more. So I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Also, I don't think about how much money I'm going to make. And whenever I drop an album, I don't think about how much money I'm making. You know, whenever I'm doing something creative, I don't think about the money side. I think about more of the impact, right? So this is a first time where I'm like, well, I mean, it'd be great to make a few bucks. I didn't think we're going to make millions. You said uh, a few weeks ago that you made more money from NFTs last year than you made from the past decade in music from, from the royalties from six albums. I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, this is how it is, you know? Crazy. Um, one thing I could tell artists when they're getting into the NFT space is that you have to treat this differently than dropping an album. You, I mean, once again, it goes right back to this relationship versus conversation. It's like, this is a relationship you're building with people. This is a real relationship. Like there's a fan club, okay? In Web 2, I call those like the, the fan clubs that exist. That's Web 2. Web 3, what Aokiverse is all about, it's a social community membership. It's a relationship I'm having with my community. 
I, I don't treat them like fans. They are fans as much as I'm a fan of them. It's more of a conversation we're having. And, and that conversation has to be meaningful. Now, Steve is one of the hardest working people in showbiz, not surprisingly, all in on crypto. And as a side note, it was recently announced he will be on board a spaceship heading for the moon in 2023, the first civilian ship to do so because it's Steve Aoki. And of course he will. Now, another superstar artist all in on crypto is Mike Shinoda, a founding member of Linkin Park. Not only has he been involved with several successful NFT projects, he was also brought on as a Web3 advisor by Warner Music Group. And I asked him, when he looks at the music industry now, what area offers the best opportunity for Web3 disruption? You know, if we had the answers, we'd be all in on whatever that lane was. The thing is, there isn't a lane. I think that there's a lot of um, experimentation to be done. Um, As everybody in the community is tired of hearing at this point, we're early. Um, And and people like challenge that and go, I don't know how early we are anymore. Like, you know, Amazon is on the horizon with this. Like Disney is building. So it's it's close though. Like when you, if you think about the idea of these massive, massive uh, corporations participating in the space, like the two I mentioned in every other one you can think of, um, it's going to open a lot of opportunities for just for, for musicians to, to get creative. Like uh, musicians are, at least my favorite musicians, don't just like play an instrument and sing over it. Like a lot of the people that I really admire and that I really follow are um, multidisciplinary. Or at the very least, they've built a team around themselves that does more than the music. Uh, they've got a vision that's that's bigger than that. So as we go forward, I think the the most important that I, I think that will be a lane of focus for everybody to consider is that you can't. I don't think in the future you're going to be able to get away with just writing and playing and singing a nice song. You're going to have to have the other elements, um, the other boxes checked. And, um, you know, from a label perspective, I know that Warner, in my conversations with them, that to them, that's being a good partner is, is helping check those boxes, like building infrastructure, hiring teams, um, aligning with partners so that when their artist says, oh man, I really would love to have an avatar in this metaverse, or I would really love to do a PFP collection that has my music and give my fans like some cool um, utility when, when they buy a, buy a collectible, I want them to be able to get discounts on my merchandise or my show or get first in line to vent to the, enter the venue. Those things are like the, the, between, between the teams, the existing teams, those things are doable right now. It's fascinating times when you have a music legend like Mike Shinoda Basically saying that in the future, it's not going to be enough for an artist to simply write and release a song. There will need to be an accompanying digital component to that because the fans are going to demand it and that record labels should begin preparing for that reality. Now, another forward-thinking artist that's been utilizing Web3 is Nick Dietrich of the Disco Fries. Now, Nick was able to get help from his fans in real time via a Discord chat on finishing a song which then got turned into a collectible NFT, and everyone involved even got a co-production credit on the track. Amazing stuff that Nick broke down for us when he was on the show. Our whole idea going into this space was, let's do stuff that we think 
would be cool as a fan. So like Danny's a fan of Radiohead. I'm a fan of Metallica, Dr. Dre. Like when we were kids and, uh, you know, coming up with these artists, what would have excited us to do, but apply it to this space? So one of the things was, wouldn't it be dope to make a record with your favorite songwriter or artist? So we were like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Uh, so the mechanism that we used through Record Shop was you had to have a certain collectible in your collection. If you had that collectible, you were automatically able to enter this Discord chat. Within the Discord chat, you could vote on parts of the song. Now, simultaneously, as the Discord chat was running, we had Twitch running the whole live stream of the event. So people could watch the event, comment on Twitch, but so really cool. the feedback we were paying attention to was in Discord, and we had that up on the screen so everybody watching on Twitch could see what was happening. So going into this, there was obviously some pre-production. Lena was fantastic. She wrote numerous top lines that worked over the instrumental that we could cut between. We came up with different synth parts. Danny was running the session. I was running the Discord. Lena was commenting on vocals. So like all three of us are live simultaneously. So periodically in Discord, I'd be like, do you like this verse or that verse? Like we'd play the A and B vocals. And the and fans I, could and the in fans real time. Could vote in That's real awesome. time. And then they'd be like, we want more cowbell throughout the whole record. <laughs> and we're like, well, executive decision. We're not putting it through the whole record, but we'll put it in this section. Uh, ultimately, by the way, we did go on to mint uh, a rare collectible that had cowbell in the whole record just so for fun. the hell of it. Yeah. Um, but th those were the types of things we did. And we did it over a few hour period. And I'd say 98% of the people involved had never seen music production done live, let alone be involved in the process. So... One, super cool for them. Two, it was a really unique way for us to create a record. So on the artist side, do I think it's going to replace traditional studio production and going in and writing a record? Absolutely not. Do I think it's a really cool way for artists to get new ideas from their fans and create like just a new level of creation that's different? And, and to deepen that relationship with your fans. Absolutely. Deepen the relationship and also do something that's artistically different to break up your flow and kind of... Think of just new ways to create. An amazing story which clearly demonstrates the potential of Web3, furthering the artist-fan relationship in ways we never could have imagined. Now, back in August, had a chance to catch up with Don Diablo, not just a superstar DJ and producer, but a leading voice in the crypto space who speaks at many NFT and Web3 events. Now, I asked Don, what are the most common questions people are asking during the Q&A parts? And his answer was pretty much what you would expect. But the detailed explanation that followed of the real value component that an NFT can offer both a fan and creator was extremely well said. The most common question will always be, how do I make money off this? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> it's like, like, and try to explain it's, it's not, there's no life hack. There's no, there is in the beginning, maybe, you know, people overpay for things and people, they were like, how are people paying 500 K for a picture of a monkey? <laughs> it's not, they're actually not paying for the picture of the monkey. They're paying for the, the legacy factor of the fact, you know, that that was a project that was ahead of its time. And it, and, you know, they did the marketing in the right way. And become, you know, it's like going to a museum and looking at a picture of, that's completely black with one dot in the middle. Um, it's it's the story of the artist, you know, that that brings it value. And I think the same goes for me when I started selling my first NFTs. It's I was finally kind of able to to bring the full story of myself rather than me just standing somewhere in a booth playing music. It was me actually conversating with people, uh, telling my story from age 13 
showing some of the art that I did 15 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, people actually had time and patience to listen to the full story and to see like, oh, he directs his own videos. He makes his own artwork. Uh, you know, he designs clothing and now he has these pieces that are all of that in one. They also include sound design slash music. Uh, all of a sudden it becomes a, you become a more multifaceted artist where the product that you create becomes, they view it all as one versus like, oh, here's a guy making music. They don't think about the fact that you're creating all of it and that it's not seen as one, one product, so to speak. Right. So uh, I think that's where the revolution is for me personally. Other than that, I think the real revolution is for the rest of the world is that people can sell art for two, 300 bucks, right? And uh, to me, that's the special thing. It's like you can sell 15 NFTs for two, $300. And that can you know, mean a sustainable way of living and you can quit your job at McDonald's or at a job that makes you very unhappy. <laughs> You know, uh, I'm not saying that working with McDonald's make you, makes you unhappy, by the way, but generally, whatever it is that makes you unhappy and you can actually live off your art. You don't have to be like, I think we all read all these stories about all these crazy sales. I mean, you know, most of my sales have been seven figures and they are like publicized, but 99.9% .9 of all the NFTs are sold for reasonable prices uh, and they're made by people who are just getting into the game. They don't have a story like myself. Like I've been at it for 28 years since I was 13. So, um, you know, to me, it's, there's no life hack. The most asked question is how can I make money off this? I think it's like going to someone and saying, how can I make money off music? It's, you have to work hard. You have to create a unique sound. You have to have a story and you have to find people that believe in you and that, you know, uh, are willing to collect your work because you've done it for the right reasons. And I think it takes time. It takes effort. It takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And there isn't really a life hack, not anymore, <laughs> at least maybe in the beginning, but that phase has that phase is now passed. So you now actually have to really work hard and and you know figure out um, you know what makes you unique. Very well put. And if you get a chance to take a look at some of the NFTs that Don has created, I encourage you to go down that rabbit hole. Just truly incredible work. Now, no look back at the year in crypto would be complete without a mention of our first guest on the show, Justin Blau, DJ, producer, and the artist who's probably done the most to bring awareness and push Web3 ideas into the mainstream. Many of our featured guests this year credit Blau with introducing them to the space and his company, Royal where fans can invest in their favorite artists and songs, has truly changed the music industry forever. Justin talked quite a bit about the company and its place alongside record labels in the new music industry landscape here on the show. I think the principle behind Royal is simple. Um, everyone listens and consumes music, but has very little room to participate in ownership of music. The same way, you know, music as an asset class has only been accessible um, by you know record labels and, and private equity firms, when you give the people that actually drive the popularity of music a piece of the pie, you know how does that change the incentives of both creators and consumers in the actual you know distribution of creativity, right? And and that's kind of what Royal seeks to explore. Like if you could invest in an artist, right? What would that mean? How would that change your behavior? And we're really excited to see that actually playing out in real time. Just to give people an idea of how this works, your first release was was a song called Worst Case. And this is a song of yours that you released uh, through Royal. You auctioned off 50% ownership of that song to your fans. And then more recently, uh, you just released another song called Waveform, where you auctioned 100% ownership of that song 
to one fan. I mean, that's exciting stuff. And it also it, it you know builds on a point you brought up earlier. It's the music going straight to the fans. There's no middleman, right? There's no record label involved. I mean, can this essentially make record labels obsolete as we look to the future? Um, I don't think necessarily labels will, will ever become obsolete, but I like to say that they, they, they'll need to become more price competitive, right? I think that labels are, are like the only source of distribution and capital for artists. Um, and since the streaming era, and, and by the way, this is only recent, right? Like since streaming has actually started to pay more than, you know, iTunes licenses, so to speak, um, now that there's quite a bit of money in streaming, labels are getting outsized value to the contracts that they've, that they've worked artists into, right? And so as alternatives begin to exist for artists, label services are still really important, you know, helping A&R records, production, marketing. Some artists do need those services. Um, it's just that the, the deal structure will likely need to be more competitive because the alternative, of course, would be a platform like Royal where, you know, an artist can kind of control everything, right? And so I, I don't think there's a world where they don't coexist. I think in many ways they do. And in many ways, they, you know, can even benefit each other. But I think that, you know, what we like to say at, you know, what I try to tell my team is the enemy, the enemy of Royal is not, um, is not any counterparty or any, or any label or any distributor. The enemy of Royal is the bad record deal, right? Um, sure. And there are many different parties that might do that or create those deals. But we want to create the alternative to those types of deals. So what so is a getting, bad record label deal for somebody listening? They may wonder what, what would a bad record uh, label deal look like? Um, I think a newcomer will sign a hundred thousand dollar advance for, you know, someone who's new, who has like a little bit of traction on TikTok, might sign a hundred or $200,000 advance for like four albums and give up 80% of the equity in their music. Wow. I think that's probably a pretty bad deal. <laughs> um, sure. Kanye famously um, gave up 86% of the equity in his music for two and a half million dollars. I think it was for four or five albums. Wow. Um, of course that that's worth a lot more today. Right. So I think that's like the best way to explain it. But, you know, I, I also think on, on the flip side of that labels do provide a lot of services for distribution. Um, it's just a question of what kind of artist you want to be. I think that like labels will always be relevant for pop. Um, they might not always be relevant for, you know, a bedroom artist that happens to gain traction on TikTok. And uh, how easy of a sell was this for you? Like, let's say you're calling up Alex and Drew from the Chainsmokers to kind of pitch the idea. I mean, are these guys like, you know, grasping onto it right away or is it a little bit of a, you know, a tougher sell? Um, I'll be honest. There's been very little resistance um, to the idea. I think like most people know that this, this kind of service needs to exist. Um, or I should say, you know, these tools need to exist for artists, you know, with, with software and with developers of software, we, you know, people create these SDKs, these software developer kits. We like to say that Royal is the SDK for artists. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a set of tools that artists can use to maintain their independence and to monetize. And whenever you tell that to another artist, I mean, we've all been through it, right? So it, it resonates pretty deeply with a lot of the artist community. So those are just a handful of our favorite moments from the show over the past year. From artists using NFTs in various ways to metaverse performances and the creation of Web3 fan clubs, it's already become very clear in a short period of time the impact that crypto and Web3 are having on music. And perhaps the most fascinating part is that the conversation is constantly changing. The things that were exciting in June are very different from what everyone is talking about today. And I can only imagine what we'll be talking about by next summer. The possibilities seem endless and very exciting. I thank you so much for listening this past year. Enjoy the holiday season with your friends and family. 
Have a happy and healthy new year. And we'll see you again in two weeks with our first episode of 2023. Special thanks to everyone who makes Crypt on the Beat possible. Sarah Bentley, Roger Coletti, Bill Crandall, Jen Derwin, Emily Doherty, Mike Spinella, and Chris Watherspoon. I'm your host, Danny Valentino. Crypto on the Beat is a Sirius XM production. Sirius XM Podcasts.